1: Let's read verse 1 of chapter 5. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. If I asked you the question tonight, how many of you are ready to meet the Lord face to face, what would your response be? Um, I'm sure if I had a show of hands, most everybody would put their hands up, but some of you have two hands up right now. But do you really mean that? Is that something that you are uh, really serious about, that you are ready to meet the Lord? Whether you're in a really great health or you're struggling with your health, whether you're very young or very old, The time we meet the Lord face-to-face could be any time. There's no time frame. You don't reach a certain age, and then the Lord takes you home. So how important is it for us to be ready at any time to meet Jesus face-to-face? It'd be great if we were all taken up in the rapture. That would be awesome. But wonder if that doesn't come, if the rapture doesn't come. That means we're going to die and go to meet him the moment we give our last breath and we'll be in the presence of the Lord. So how important is it for you and I to always be ready? Especially when we don't know the day or the hour. And this is not something morbid at all because I think it's very important that we're always ready to meet our Savior, to meet our God, to anticipate that with the, with uh, with a yearning and excitement. So we see here in the Song of Solomon, and the way I've approached it is in the study of Solomon, is this is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been going through the, the Song of Solomon, and if this is the first time that you're under this teaching of uh, Song of Solomon, just understand that we're comparing this to our walk with the Lord. This is you and me and our relationship with our God. So when we look at that first verse, the first uh, few words, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. Now, this is spoken by the beloved. The beloved for you and me, this is the shepherd. This is our King. This is Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This is our friend that sticks closer than a brother. Taking this word garden, we've seen in the past four chapters that this garden is something that is enclosed. It has boundaries. It's not something that's just growing wild. You were wild things before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were all wild things, just growing wildly, just doing whatever you wanted to do. There were no boundaries. You set your own boundaries. But when you came to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he started grooming you as the master gardener. You can pass over so many of the words throughout Scripture, and especially now as we're in the Song of Solomon. You can pass over words and miss the entire meaning or the application for your life. We are God's garden. You and me are God's garden. He delights in taking care of us. And we looked last time that he digs us up, he prunes us, he weeds us, he plants, he uproots, he waters. And sometimes, as we saw last time, he uses fertilizer. And fertilizer, what does that do? It stinks. We're in stinky situations. But what does those stinky situations bring about? Just like a garden brings about life, brings about eventually a good fragrance by the thing that it's producing, what's growing in the garden. In that beginning at verse 1, we see my sister, my spouse. Let's just take that sister for a minute. And this has been a theme throughout the previous chapters of the Song of Solomon. A sister is somebody in your family. A sister is is a relation. If you are born again, you are in the family of God. You are in God's family, but that only happens once you make that decision to turn from your life and give it to God. When you understand that what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he did for you and for me, he paid a debt that he didn't owe. To pay a debt for us that we couldn't pay. So, when we come to the knowledge of that and we accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross and we ask Him into our heart and we put our trust in Him, we become f- part of the family of God. You're His Son, you're His daughter. Through that born again experience, you now inherit. Everything that God has for you, not only in this life, salvation, His Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit being produced, but what we will see one day when we go into eternity. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Come out and be separate from the world. We're in the world, but we're not a part of it, right? But yet, every day, the world has its pull, right? It's trying to get us back into its formation, its mold. But thank God, he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to resist that pull. We don't have to do it alone. He's our helper. He comforts us in the things that take place during the course of our day and our lives. Still in those first few verses, my spouse Now we talk about a more intimate relationship, like a husband and a wife. That one mind, that one spirit that God wants to have with us in that relationship. But you know, that intimate relationship comes as a result of the time you are willing to spend with your God one-on-one. This is awesome as we come together, as we're told to do in the scriptures, to not stop fellowshipping together. Because God is at work when we meet on Wednesday or Sunday or the men's group or the women's group or home groups. But when you're doing one-on-one with Jesus Christ, boy, that's the sweet, sweet time with you and your Lord where he's doing a work in you that you bring back when you're in fellowship on the Wednesdays or the Saturdays or the Sundays or in the home groups. God gives birth in you that spiritual life but he also allows you to touch others with the spiritual life that he is developing in you. You should see fruit from your relationship with the Lord. You should see fruit in others who call themselves sons and daughters of the king. In the Jewish Tradition of marriage, you know, there's an engagement period. I mean, we have engagement periods for the most part here in the United States. But we're in that engagement period right now with Jesus. We're getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? We're getting ready for that. We're in engagement period right now. We're getting better acquainted with our fiance. As most of you know, we're the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. He's the groom. Jesus is the groom. And he's getting us ready. He purifies us. He sets us apart. He's working on us all the time through the power of his Holy Spirit and he's preparing a place for us and he's going to come back and he's going to take us there as it says in John 14:3 Revelation 19:7 says let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory Do we do that We did it tonight in the four songs that we sang What great words in those songs and you sing those songs and you think of some of the things that were being set up there. Things that God is doing and has done and will continue to do in our lives. So in Revelation nineteen seven, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet? Jesus face to face. Are you ready for the marriage supper of the lamb? That's an anticipation, right? That's something that we're looking forward to. That's something that still has to happen in your life and my life. And we're going to be there. We're going to see each other there. That's going to be a wild time. But do we anticipate it? Do we Look beyond the things that try to pull us back into the worldly mold to realize that we've broken from that mold. God has broken that mold. He's getting us ready for so much more, way better than anything this world has to offer. Because we responded to his call and we will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb and we can count on this because these are the true sayings of God. God said this. We can count on our God. As Revelation 19:9 9 says. In Revelation 22:17 it says the spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears it say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I think like me, you're here, you come here to hear God's word, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you want more, and so should you, and so should I, because we're not where we need to be yet, right, we're not there yet, we are definitely works under construction, it doesn't matter your age, how young or old you are in your walk with the Lord, He's always working on you because our flesh is trying to war against the things that God's spirit is trying to do within our spirit. It's a constant struggle. Don't be surprised. It has to happen. We're tied to this. We're locked in these bodies. We're chained in. They're a prison. These bodies are a prison. But one day he's going to set us free to be the people He always wanted us to be. We'll be free. No more hang ups. No more things to hold us down. That day is coming. But I want to ask you tonight are you thirsty? Do you desire more of Christ? Do you hunger for more of Him? If you find yourself sitting there tonight and you're saying, well, I'm not really thirsty, I don't understand, or or, I don't feel that hunger like I used to. Well, ask God to restore that. Ask God through his Holy Spirit to restore that hunger, that appetite, that thirst, that excitement. It usually is just your flesh that's pulling you away to quench What God is trying to do in your spirit. But remember, greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. God wins. In the next part of verse 1 I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. Now, we've seen myrrh a few times throughout the first four chapters. And one of the things, and you have to remember when they would take myrrh or to obtain myrrh, you have to make an incision in a tree. You've got to cut the tree. And it lets this, uh, this gum flow out. And it's a spice that was used in embalming bodies. It was also sometimes mingled with wine to form an article of drink. Uh, you're familiar with that drink that was given to our Savior when he was hanging on the cross in, in Mark 15 and Matthew 27. Uh, in some scriptures, it's called gall. It was to deaden the pain, but he didn't want it because he wanted to take all that pain for you and me. He took all our pain on him, took all our sin on him. He wasn't going to have it. Numbed, he was going to go through it to pay fully the price of your sins and my sins. He took it all on for you and for me. Myrrh also symbolizes bitterness, suffering, and affliction. The baby Jesus would grow to suffer greatly as a man and would pay the ultimate price of giving his life up. On the cross. And if you believe in him and what he's done, that's that whole thing of being born again and asking him to change you from the inside out. Continuing in verse 1 I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. We saw this in the previous chapters. That honeycomb contains the purest, the freshest honey. You will ever taste. It can be consumed. Now, what comes from God's lips is pure and it reflects the condition of His heart. As you become more like your Savior, your words, your actions, your thoughts will line up more with Jesus Christ's thoughts. That's supernatural. That's not something you can do. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit in you. But again, how much are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life? What's keeping the Holy Spirit from working in you? What are you being distracted by that's keeping God from doing a complete work in you? What's delaying the process in you? In the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 11, it said, Honey and milk are under your tongue. And in Psalm 119, 113, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God's word, precious. God's word can never, ever be taken for granted. The hearing of God's word, the reading of God's word, the power behind his word is, again, supernatural. Penetrating, piercing down to the very marrow of our bones. Separating things, making us think, making us reflect on things. Still in verse 1, I have drunk my wine with my milk. Remember throughout scripture, wine is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Milk in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow by it. You grow by reading God's word. The pure milk of his word. And as you continue to drink the milk of his word, God matures you so then he can start giving you the meat of his word to chew on. But boy, the pure milk of his word is always something you want. You can never hear enough about the stories in the scriptures. You can never read the Proverbs or the Psalms enough Oh, I've read the book of John a hundred times, you may say. Well, read it a hundred and one. Add to it another hundred times. You can never have enough of the pure milk of God's word. Because remember, you're growing by it. You're maturing by it. In Proverbs 9, 5, it says, Come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. God's putting everything together through his word. And then the last part of that verse, one. Eat, O friends, drink. Yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Take it all in. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man Who puts his trust in him, Psalm 34, 8 says. Will you turn with me to John chapter 6, please? Let's wake up our fingers. Let's turn to the book of John, or the gospel of John, chapter 6. I'm going to read about 15 verses of John 6, and as I'm reading, try to see, let it jump out and smack you in your face, where you see eat and drink and uh, feed, anything to do with food. If you haven't eaten dinner tonight, that should be easy to pick out those words for you, okay? But just watch in John 6, starting with verse 53. Just all the, um, those, those words of eating and drinking. Follow along with me. Verse 53, John 6. Then Jesus said to them, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, "'unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man "'and drink his blood, you have no life in you. "'Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood "'has eternal life, and I will raise him up "'at the last day. "'For my flesh is food indeed, "'and my blood is drink indeed.'" Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to, them, said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. Spirit. And they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Have you come to Jesus? Or are you and I just going through the motions? Do you hear and apply what's being taught from the scriptures? Or are you just hearing sounds? Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are this Christ, the son of the living God. Now, notice in verse 57, it says, the end of verse 57, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. He who feeds on me will have abundant life because of me. Now, some religions will take this, these verses here and make it like cannibalism, like we're eating the actual flesh and drinking the actual blood of Christ but I don't know if you caught it over and later in the verses. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I'm speaking to you are spirit and life. They're not flesh and blood. And even when you follow that thinking Jesus, in God's word it says, and now there's no longer a need for any further sacrifice for sins. Christ died once for all. Never to have to go through that again. Okay, let's look at, back to Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Now, this is the Shulamite speaking. This is the peasant girl. Representing here, this is you and me. This is us now that we're looking at. Beginning of verse two, I sleep, but my heart is awake. Have you guys ever gone to sleep anticipating the next day? Maybe there's something exciting coming up the next day and you couldn't wait for it, but you know you had to. Go to sleep because your body is tired, but boy, your heart wasn't tired. You were pumped. You were ready. You were ready to go. But you had to go through the night. What is the anticipation again that we have to meet our Savior face to face? We don't know the day or the hour, right? We don't know when that glorious moment is going to take place. Can we do some finger walking again? Can you turn to Matthew 25, 6? Okay. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise... Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you, neither, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He could come in the rapture. We could meet him in the sky. It could be through the portal of death that we meet him face to face. And again I've said it a few times tonight are you ready to go meet him In Ephesians you don't have to turn to this Ephesians 5:14 Therefore he says awake you who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you life one more time awake you who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you life Now questions Are you sleeping and not anticipating Jesus taking us up to meet him in the air? Are you sleeping or are you ready? Number two, are you interacting with him daily, hourly, minute to minute, second to second? Third, are you distracted by the things of this world? that will not be important in the next life is it distracting you from that interpersonal relationship fellowship with jesus are you no, next one are you numbering your days are you asking god for a heart of wisdom these are things we should all be doing not sleeping but anticipating Jesus. We should be interacting with him every day. We should not allow ourselves to be distracted by the things of this world, but to keep Jesus Christ in the center. And are we numbering our days? And asking God for that heart of wisdom. Back to the Song of Solomon, still in verse 2, it is the voice of my beloved. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you recognize the voice of God when he's trying to get your attention? Do you react to his voice? He knocks, in, in. back to Song of Solomon, he knocks, saying, he knocks, he's saying something. He's trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell me something. When? 24-7, 365 God is always communicating to us are we listening do we have ears to hear what the spirit is saying he knocks in revelation 320 it says behold i stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Are you opening that door of fellowship? He's there. Waiting to have that special time with just you. Verse 21 of Revelation 3. Says to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. What are you going to overcome? Yeah, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But I think if you break it down even more, you have to overcome yourselves. You and I are the biggest obstacles in that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, don't you think? It's you and I. It's you. Yeah, the world has some play on us. The flesh has some play. The devil and his demonic army has some play. But you know what the biggest obstacle is? You and me. Just in our interpersonal relationship one-on-one with Christ. What is stopping you? from having that relationship on a deeper basis. You know what it is. The Holy Spirit quickens that to our heart. We know. He shows us. Next part of the Song of Solomon says, Open for me, my sister, my love. That's the beloved saying this. It's the beloved saying, Open For me, my sister, my love. Notice again, we see that family relationship in Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but check it out. Right now, the next part of it, God gives us the answer to this mystery. Of what he's saying but i'm speaking with reference to christ in the church so notice that god uses the example of a man and his wife leaving their family and joining and becoming one flesh but he's using that as a reference to christ in the church that you and I in our relationship one-on-one with the Lord is like that husband and wife relationship that we become one mind, one spirit. Romans 6, 3-5 to says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Jesus set as the example when he was here on this earth He had John the Baptist baptize him. And remember John said, no, no, you should be baptizing me, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, we have to do this to fulfill everything that the Father wants done. Jesus was setting us an example, and we know, right, the baptism, when you go under, you're dying to yourself. You're dying to yourself. We're dying. We're being crucified with Christ. We no longer live. It's now Christ who lives in us. And now we're resurrected to new life. The symbol of coming up out of the water. We're resurrected to new life. That is an object lesson. That is a witness to everybody who sees it of what we've already done, right, in our hearts. Continuing in Romans 6, 3 to 5. Therefore, we have, bur- we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be united with him in his resurrection. Is your heart Ready? Are you in that place? And as we close tonight, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. The challenge tonight for all of us is before our pillow, no? Well, I guess if your maid throws it at you, but before your head hits the pillow. Draw closer to God. Spend some time one-on-one with your Savior before your head hits the pillow. Be one spirit with Him. You don't have to wait for Saturday morning or Sunday or the home group. You can have that sweet, intimate fellowship with the Savior 24-7-365. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.